And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back. Thank you for joining us for yet another episode of the Startup Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Conaway, founder and CEO of Innovate Her KC. And friends, I got to tell you, today's episode is sponsored by Full Scale, and we love Full Scale around here. Hiring software developers is difficult, but Full Scale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably, and they have the platform to help you manage that team. Visit FullScale.io to learn more. You can also, I suspect you can also check the show notes if you just want to clicky clicky a link, but definitely check out Full Scale. So today, friends, we have with us, I'm, I'm always excited when I talk to folks who end up on one of our top startups lists. Uh, those are some of my favorite episodes to record with Matt DeCourcy. And we talk, we visit cities across the country, so home, someday the world. Uh, but we, we visit these startups, we talk to these founders, and we learn about a city. Well, today we're going to be talking to one of our top startups of Las Vegas winners. Really, really excited to talk to Brooke Fiamara, co-founder and co-CEO of Optics. Brooke, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Lauren, for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I'm new, a new podcast listener just in general. Um, and so it's really, it's really cool to be on this side of it and not in my car listening on the way to work. So. Yeah, I know you're going to have new insight as you go forth into the world and listen to new podcasts because you've been on the other yes. side. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to crack into it. And so I'm just, I'm just going to ask you, Hey, Brooke, tell us about your journey. Sure. Um, so my name is you know, Brooke Viamara, one of the co-founders and co-CEOs of Optics. We are a Las Vegas-based startup. However, I've got team members all over the world. So um, you know, we, we started the company about four years ago and have since grown to over 60 employees. So it has been quite a journey. Um, for me, I, I was born in Texas. Um, my parents moved to Vegas for opportunity. Um, and, and that's where I grew up. I went to high school in Vegas. I stayed, uh, at, in Vegas for college. I went to UNLV, studied marketing and went into the casino industry, which, you know, living in Vegas, um, wasn't. I feel like that's not a super big stretch. Like that's not a surprise. Right. <laughs> exactly. like when I, you know, I never pictured myself growing up, um, and kind of moving into gaming, but being in Vegas and getting that degree, there's a, there's tons of opportunity. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, started uh, line level, basically entry level uh, management job, coordinator job. Uh, from there, I worked my way up through like the local casino market, station casinos. For those of you that have been to Vegas, have you been to Vegas? I have not. It's on my short list. What? I, I just haven't. I haven't. And I, here's the thing. I'm not a desert person. Like I, I, so that that's a part of it as well. I'm not a huge gambler. I'm one of those people like I'll take 20 bucks to the casino maybe once every five years and like yeah. call it a day. 
But I have heard about the spectacle of Vegas, and I've heard that it's one of those things that you need to experience. Is that what you find, that like it's just a step beyond entertainment? Talk to us a little bit about that. Definitely. Like, I think there is, I truly think there's something for everyone. So yeah. I heard from you, I'm not really a gambler, you know, that's not really my scene. Um, yeah, don't stay on the strip, right? Like I worked, yeah. I spent my entire career in the local side of things. And there are some beautiful resorts that don't even touch the strip. You want great spas, great restaurants, yeah. great entertainment. Um, it truly is just a special place to visit. And for me, um, a special place to live. Like I, I really wouldn't live anywhere else. Yeah. Um, well, it's one of those things. That was, so now that I know you, Brooke, like someday I'm going to just email you and be like, hey, girl, hey, yeah. coming to Vegas. Where do I need to go? And can we coffee? Like, I got you open you. to that? Yes, definitely. <laughs> okay. Because I feel like I need a Vegas shepherd, like someone who can help me maximize the experience, right? Yes. I've, I've heard it is just... It's incredible. It's phenomenal. You know, so so hard plug, Las Vegas, Nevada. I, I'm really interested to hear about the the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Las Vegas. Can you talk to us a little bit about your experiences there? Yeah, it's it's um, been really interesting to be part of the startup community in Vegas. I think that uh, we continue to. Uh, make waves and and make a presence in Vegas. I don't think people think of Las Vegas as a tech um, kind of hub. And I think today, when you think of the gaming industry alone, that is an immense amount of technology related to to that, right? That's right. There's there's tons of technology obviously being utilized throughout the city and in the various industries that our city thrives upon. But the actual like startups of of non-legacy businesses that are that are used in these casinos or just in 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 any you know security I think of I think of a lot of our real estate um kind of startups in Vegas it's it it's not considered a hub but I think it's I think we're growing and I think that our community is growing and it's a great place to start a business you've got low cost of, of rent for office spaces. There's so many different areas within the city to expand. You've got great talent pools. Our universities continue to get better. We've got tons of people looking at Las Vegas as alternatives to the higher cost cities like San Francisco and LA, which you know have tons of talent. And so it really is a special place to start a company. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, like I said, I, I really love recording top startups episodes. And I remember Matt and I, like we were kind of going through the set list and talking about the different companies and things like that. And, and one of the things that I noticed around Las Vegas, and I don't think this was so much of a surprise. It was, it was just something that was mm-hmm. kind of glaringly obvious, but there's a lot of uh, development. There's a lot of research and design being done around the gaming industry in, in Vegas. And when you know, when we go to top startups, we we always try to find the through line. You know, when we went to Seattle, Seattle, that was a lot of deep tech. You know, mm-hmm. here in the Midwest, we have a focus on ag tech and animal health, and like each city or each geography that we focus on, kind of has its own flavor. And so, so talk to us a little bit about how. Well, first off. Talk to us about optics, but can you talk to us about how optics grew within this Las Vegas kind of gaming tech environment? Yeah, I think you said it exactly right, right? We in Vegas um, naturally just have an industry that that our city thrives upon, which is gaming. Um, and the amount of data that, that our 
casino operations are collecting is immense and it only continues to grow. And the importance of, um, and we see this in every, you know, every industry that kind of revolves around data, we see the same emphasis that can be applied, whether it's, you know, medical or hospitality or gaming, the immense amount of data that we have and the, the need to distill that down to like specific action for the team members, the humans that are interacting with that data and making decisions on the data just continues to grow. And that's where optics comes in specific to the gaming industry. So our product was designed to ingest and distill large amounts of data sets throughout a casino's ecosystem. So you can think of a casino, or at least I think of a casino as like, honestly, 10 businesses in one. And it's one of the things that I think is the most fascinating part about working in a casino um, is that you really get exposed to running restaurants, right? That That in and of itself is its own industry with its own ecosystem of data and its own you know, uh, legacy systems. Yeah. And then you move into hotel management and running a hotel. And then you've got the slot floor and gaming and just, you could think of it like if you wanted to relate it to another industry, an arcade, right? You're collecting money from people. You're watching what games that they play and you're trying to put the right games on the floor for those. Well, but then you also have the, the added layer of security all throughout because like massive amounts of money are running through these operations at any given time. And you have a lot of, um, you have a lot of people out there who might want to game the system, you know? And so, so there's, there are a lot of industries that are just kind of coalescing into one. Security. Yeah. Um, compliance, not only at the, the state level, the federal level, I mean, it is an incredibly complex yeah. uh, system of operations, which I think is is fascinating because I think if you only work in a restaurant, that is your exposure. If you only work in a right. hotel, that's your exposure. In gaming and casinos, it's all of it. Right. And so when you have a, a, a need to kind of create an ecosystem of all those different data points and interactions for your patrons that your patrons are use, uh, that your patrons are going to and experiencing, um, you need a tool like optics that pulls all that data into a single place and then operationalizes it for those different verticals, whether it's hotel, food and beverage, marketing, player development, slash VIP, or even just slot floor optimization. And that's what we do. We take all the data and then we operationalize it, whether it's through artificial intelligence modeling or whether it's just through, you know, standard reporting or whether it's through actually, you know, tasking a team member to do something. Well, and so, so that operationalizing people, that is a difficult word to say, but Mm -hmm. you know, the O word, (laughs) when you talk about that, like you know, Matt and I have often talked about the fact that data is only as strong or helpful as what you do with it, how you create those actionable tactics and outcomes that support the success of of each area of your business. And so, you know, you, you say reporting, you say, you know, modeling and forecasting, like these are all extremely useful things. But talk to us about use case? Like, do you have maybe a user who was able to take data insight gleaned and turn it into success? Like, do you, do you have some use cases for us? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll give you, uh, I think one of my favorite and most fun use cases is really around, you know, like we were talking about the arcade and kind of how a slot floor lays out and putting the right yeah. games in the right place for the right players. 
Um, so with optics, basically what our operators can do is uh, look at holistically at their soft floor and, and our AI models will go through and look at every single game, the shape of the game, the, uh, the way that the game plays, the location of the game on the floor, who plays those types of games and the demographic of that player that plays that type of game. And we will present a recommendation to an operator and say, hey, you know, these specific games from this manufacturer, you should take off the floor and replace mm -hmm. them with this particular type of game in addition to swapping these five games around. And if you do that, you will make more money. Yeah. Three optics or for properties that don't have optics, they do this all day long, right? Yeah. That is their whole job. It's to look at the information. They're kind of they're guessing, right? And they're educated guesses, but they're based on biased human experience, whereas optics is pulling data. Right. Actual information. So yeah. we went back, we looked at, so we took our entire optics database of customers across the United States. And we looked at every slot move that they've done over the past five years. Okay. So we're talking yeah. hundreds and hundreds of moves. And we compared the performance of the game before the move to the performance of the game after the move. So these are decisions that were made without optics. Right. And essentially what we found is that it, flip a coin. It's a 50-50 proposition. 50% of those slot moves um, that were made without optics were good for business and 50% were bad for business. Okay. So essentially like toss a coin, maybe this one yeah. will work, maybe Six it won't one, work. Half a dozen of the other. <laughs> exactly. Like every two moves you do, one's canceling the other one out. Right. We then started studying, okay, well, let's take the optics model and run it through those same moves. Which ones would optics have said, hey, that's a good decision for the business? Yeah. When we went back and looked at that information, um, if the operators would have only done the swaps or the changes that optics had greenlighted, that 50-50 proposition would have turned to a 70-30 proposition in the favor of the operator. That wow. is material, material savings, not only in time and labor, because, you know, moving a slot floor is- You have to move as many, right? Very <laughs> consuming, yeah. And it's disruptive to the floor. It takes a lot of labor and manpower, but it also has a massive impact on revenue. So you've got like the dream scenario, grow revenue, cut expense. Um, and that's, that's just an example of how our tool immediately can impact a property. Gotta love that data. Gotta, gotta, gotta love that data. So talk to us a little bit about how, I, I'm very, very curious as to how you, Brooke, uh, entered into this realm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So my background is the actual operations of a casino. So I don't really have um, a background in technology. Um, yeah. You know, my I come from the operator side of the business, as we would call it. Uh, but my my responsibility, my role in my previous organization, was to identify and leverage technology for our team, for our properties, and our teams to use. Yeah. And through that process, you know, I learned um, a lot about the tools that were in the marketplace. I learned a lot about the um, gaps of the tools in the marketplace, and really what I discovered through you know my tenure as an operator was that all of the tools on the market were designed and developed by really smart engineers right yeah. so you had you had people who had come from the technology side of of gaming who said hey if i break out on my own and and create this product you know we think it could do really well yeah. the problem is that those products were very tech forward 
and not operationally friendly. So I always say you can have the most innovative, cool technology, but if it's hard to use and the actual end user doesn't understand it, it doesn't matter. And that's what I was running into constantly. Um, And so, you know, I thought to myself, if we could create a product that did all of the amazing things that we need to do with the data, but present it to the user through a UI that was understood um, operationally friendly and really only gave them the things that they needed to know. Yeah. Um, I felt like we could really win in this space uh, because it was a, it's a big gap. It was a big gap at the time. We've obviously uh, closed that gap and filled that gap with, with optics. But at the time there wasn't a tool I could put in front of just a, a normal non-techie casino yeah. operator that they would just intuitively pick up right away. Yeah. And that's what we set out to solve. So that's well, and I I love that so much. And I mean, we talk about the power of things like like dashboards, even if it's just systems that are talking to each other that have historically not talked to each other. Like that can be transformative for a business. But I think, I mean, clearly you have hit your va- your value proposition on the head. Like you got it. It's the fact that like I know so many folks who are experts at what they do, and they are passionate about the products and services that they sell. But you show us like lines and lines of data like we just it it just it makes your heart like skip a beat because you're like ah this is it's too much and so often a lot of the power it lies in making this information accessible that's the that's the real key because information information data like all of the all of the research all of this stuff is only helpful if you are able to put it to executable positive fluid forward use, you know? And, and so you're absolutely right. Like I have to, my marketing clients, I tell people, I'm like, look, you can use all the fancy tools and tricks that in the world, you can try them all. But if you don't actually sit down and use them on a regular basis, it means nothing. So I, I love that that is how you chose to attack a very real problem that represents, I would have to imagine billions in lost revenue, lost productive time, lost like you're addressing a very serious problem and you're doing it in such an organic kind of way. You know? Yeah. I, we, I mean, how I know we've like accomplished our goal. And of course goals are evolving. We all know that in startups, like we start one way and then we, we tackle that and we pivot into two more goals and right. we're constantly doing that. But like our core reason we started the company was to like bridge that gap and really yeah. operationalize the data in a user-friendly way. And I, when we win deals, when I do demos and they say, wow, like this is, this looks so easy to use. Yeah. I'm like, we got, we made it. And I'm I'm done. Mission accomplished. Yes. (laughs) Our, our UI designer, you know, we pulled, um, her name's Hannah. She's absolutely amazing. Um, and she, we, we, we told her like, Hey, this UI design, the way that we're going to build this product is going to be user-friendly. And so when you're thinking of designs of very complex things, I mean, we are to your point, we're talking layers and layers and years of data that we have to present in an actionable user-friendly way. I told her, I'm like, study Facebook, study Instagram, the thing, TikTok, the things you use every day are the same things that our users are using every day. And so whenever we can put a familiar feature in, the way we manage notifications, the way you swipe on your mobile app, use pull inspiration from the things we know that are working in the market and the things we know that people like to use. And right. that's 
been really successful for us. Yeah. Well, you're, you're applying that, that multivariate perspective because you're taking insights gleaned from one area of life and applying it to another, which is a really, really smart way to go about disruptive work. Uh, well done. <laughs> so, so another really, really smart thing, friends, smart thing is putting the right team around you. And I can tell you that full scale can help you do that. Finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult. We know that you think it has to be difficult, but it does not have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io, where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the full scale platform to define your technical needs and then see what available testers, developers, and leaders are ready to join your team. Visit fullscale.io or check the show notes for the link to learn more. Friends, we are here today with Brooke Fiamara, co-founder and co-CEO of Optics. And so right now we're kind of delving into, into the tool. And one of the things that Brooke and her team, and, and shout out to Hannah, what's up? Uh, you know, Brooke and her team have done a really fabulous job of taking a very hairy, very uh, intimidating process, which is data collection and analysis, mm -hmm. and made it accessible and easy to do for, for users. Uh, the operators, I'm going to use the, the term, look, I'm learning, Yes, uh, but you're helping, you know, casino operators, entertainment operators, hospitality operators treat people better, serve their customers better. That's really kind of the, the end of the, the day. But one of the things that I'm really, really curious about, you know, you, you said that you had been getting this really fabulous feedback from folks who were seeing the UI in real time and saying, this is exactly what I needed, right? Talk to us about the development of that UI. Were you taking customer feedback or put, you know, even potential target market feedback? And you know, work you said that you worked with Hannah. You know, how did you what did that process look like when you were trying to figure out this is what we want the UI and the UX to be? Great, great question. So I'm laughing because the very early days of our UI design um, was myself and a couple of our other team members um, in Excel. And like, yeah. just like highlighting boxes and saying, okay, you know, this is how it's traditionally presented, you know, this type of data or this report, and here's how optics would present it and how it would be simpler, easier to digest and why it would be. Um, you know, we, we would show those like Excel designs to other operators. We would, you know, phone a friend essentially and say, hey, yeah. what do you think of this? Does this make sense? Um, and we'd get some great feedback. We'd go back and iterate. Then we had Hannah come on and she's like, why do we have Excel? Let's, you know, move into like, if you let's move into we're a tech led tech enabled yeah. company. Maybe we could look at a technological solution. That's right. So um, she brought actual UI tools to the, to the process, Yay! Um, which was a game changer. So, sure. uh, and then, you know, she took our Excel designs and actually mocked them up into the tool. We use Figma. Um, to, okay. to do all of our UI designing. And from there, we were able to take actual designs that look like actual software and again, present them to friends and family who work in this business and say, hey, does this make sense? Yeah. Um, I also just personally, having had worked with many tools, having had worked as an operator, I knew the challenges. Like I right. knew how the data needed to be presented to the different levels within an organization. Obviously how you present something to an executive is going to be very different than presenting something to, you know, a line level team member. And so just being able to articulate that to, to somebody, um, 
Hannah being our UI designer, who has zero gaming experience, zero knowledge of this industry, I think actually was really, really powerful because she wasn't clouded by bias. She just looked at something very objectively and said, okay, if I was trying to make this as simple as possible, somebody who doesn't even understand what I'm looking at, here's what I would do. Um, and I think through that process and still today, four years later, that's, ex- that's exactly what we do. Um, yeah. she, she looks at something, she reads the requirements, she spends, you know, 20 minutes kind of initial stab and then we collaborate. Yeah. And as we've matured, as we've gotten customers and as our roadmap gets more defined by actual customer requests and less by the optics team, um, yeah. we obviously are able to take take that right back to the customer and, and get their feedback, which is really nice because look, we didn't get it right all the time. Right. And it, it would be crazy to think we did. So um, it's really nice now having that customer base to be able to go to and say, Hey, what do you think of this? And get yeah. them to iterate. Well, so, so of course I love that. Now, now Brooke, I'm going to have to ask you, we're going to take a little detour. Because there, there is something that I wanted to ask you. And like, as you were, were talking, it just kind of like, ugh was knocking me in the face like hey ask her uh but i i can't help but notice that you're a woman and it sounds like at least one of your technical team is a woman again hey hannah what's up uh and and i want to talk to you a little bit about that because i find when i think of the gaming industry just as when i think of the technology industry uh i do not necessarily think of women. I have that archetype of the the cisgender, white, heteronormative male uh, in positions of power. And so I'm wondering, like, talk to us about the industry. Um, as a as a female founder who has surrounded yourself with at least a partially female team, um, has there has there been anything of note about that experience? I we're surprising nobody, listeners, you know, if you don't know by now, this is my thing. So you can't be surprised that I asked this question. <laughs> Yeah, look, gaming is one one hundred percent a male dominated industry. Um, It 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 still is today, Um, but there are a couple things that that I will say and things that I notice. Yeah, um, just as I as I have grown up in this this male dominated space. Um, Yeah. So one, I think that women, and this is probably true of all industries, to be to be fair, but I do think that women are much quicker to denounce their own skill sets or look at a role or an opportunity and say, oh, you know, I only have five of the 10 skills, so I'm not qualified. So there's actually a statistic that on average uh, with job listings, men only need to satisfy 60% of the requirements to apply. Women actually need to satisfy 100% of the requirements to apply. That's a yeah. pretty, that's a pretty big gap. <laughs> it's a huge gap. But, and I like, I mean, that's interesting. I haven't read that study. I definitely want to go find it. In in my experience, I found that it's, it's women, hold, it's their own holding themselves back. Like they feel like, oh, because I don't have a hundred percent of the skills I shouldn't apply. Yeah. Like, what? I got 30%. I'll apply. This is perfect fit. Yeah. And so I think it comes down to like confidence and just knowing like, there is nothing that's in a role that that you want that you can't learn or accomplish or achieve with right. hard work. And I, I just don't think that, um, you know, a lot of women are just taught that early. And, you know, I am a mother of a young daughter and I am constantly teaching her and telling her just last night, she was saying how she can't do something. It's too hard. There's no way she's going to get it. And 
how, I'm like, how is a seven year old already thinking like that? No, you can absolutely do it. We're going to work for it. Yeah. Um, and then I also think that good women- for you. Wait, 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 really quick. Good for you, mama. Well done. <laughs> so I couldn't believe it. I'm like, what do you mean you can't do? Yes, you can do this. Anyone can do this. You just have to yeah. work. Um, and that's that. I think that's a life lesson. Probably all genders have to learn is that you can't. Yeah. Nothing's just handed to you. You have to work for it. Right. Um, but yeah, I think also the other thing I notice in meetings, um, a lot of women will be quiet and, you know, wait to be called on or, you know, not feel as comfortable speaking up. And so I really try to be mindful of that in the room and actually seek out the opinions, like get people to speak up, um, so that their, their opinions can be heard and that they're comfortable speaking those opinions. And uh, finally, like the biggest thing, honestly, is just actually supporting other women. So rather than viewing this like competitive nature, and I feel like I've been very blessed in my career that, you know, I've had female mentors and, and haven't felt like this threatening, um, ambiance. I know that's not the reality for, for some women. And so, just kind of like supporting other women is obviously incredibly important in any male dominated yeah. industry and like finding those male allies. And I actually um, co-chair a marketing committee for an organization called Global Gaming Women. And it is all about my like, face, sorry, for those of you just listening, uh, my face just lit up <laughs> like a Christmas tree. That was impressive. I just, I could, feel my, I could feel my face changing. Talk like, about Global Gaming Women. Yeah, Global Gaming Women is an incredible organization that is dedicated to the empowerment and growth of females in the gaming industry. So our entire yeah. mission is to do exactly what you were just talking about, you know, um, get, you know, give women the tools, resources and education that they need to yeah. excel in their careers um, and the support that they need. Right. We're, we're moms. We're busy. We've got all these things going on. And so. I am just so happy to be a part of that organization. We're doing some amazing work um, with with women in gaming specifically. Yeah, are you finding that the culture is changing? Well, to be perfectly honest, like I don't, I didn't, I don't have a lot of context around what the culture was like before. Right. Uh, but are you seeing change within the industry? More representation, more supportive policies and infrastructure to support diverse leadership within these are like what. I'm hoping that you're seeing a positive trajectory, but what, what are you seeing? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, 10 years ago, having like a DE&I committee within HR or having a team member dedicated to this within these, within companies was almost unheard of, not unheard yeah. of, almost unheard of. Now it's very common. Um, and I think that they're, you know, just, just as the world is changing, gaming is keeping up. And I, I think in a, in an area where like typically gaming's many, many years behind in, in these specific areas, technology, um, specifically, um, yeah. I do think that we're on a positive trajectory. We have more female founders in and CEOs than ever. Um, and yeah. so we're, we're really proud of that. Well, so I do, I want to ask it's it's time for the tactical advice time. <laughs> so so we're on to this portion of the programming. Uh, but as you know, not every not every one of our listeners is involved in the gaming industry, but many of our listeners are involved in male dominant industries. It's just kind of what happens when you focus on startups and technology and all of those things. Um, but talk to us. So 
you are great breaking ground. Optics is breaking ground as a company, kind of disrupting an industry, delivering information in new and very technologically savvy ways. But then you're also culturally disrupting an industry just by your mere presence and by your success. Like the fact that you are have been successful and will continue to be successful, that's a that's a representation thing. So talk to our audience, you know, what are some ways that you can disrupt without exploiting, you know, so like, for instance, you know, if if we had a listener who wanted to make his environment more female friendly, woman friendly, more equitable, what are some ways that he might be able to do that? Does that make sense as a question? I can I can I can re-ask if you need me to. No, no, no. <laughs> it, it makes perfect sense. And I, I was talking, I kind of hit on it a little bit earlier about like finding your allies. Yeah, for and- sure. And I think if we're talking to a male audience, it's the inverse. It's recognizing that you have the opportunity to be an ally. Yeah. And I think what that means is, is simply, again, a giving a comfortable space for yeah. the females in the room to have their opinions heard. You know, a lot of times females are going to be more naturally quiet. Of course, not all the time. But, um, and I think that, you know, being an ally means, calling on them. Hey, Lauren, what's, what's your opinion on this topic? It can be as simple as that. Yeah. That kind of gives them the opportunity to shine. Um, I also think, um, you know, pulling women in that you think could be a good fit for a role, even yeah. if they don't apply, because again, we know the stats, we know the right. facts. women <laughs> feel like they need to meet 100% of the criteria. And so here's, so here's another fun fact that will shore up your argument because you're absolutely right. Um, But fun fact, on average, women need to be asked three times to take on a leadership role. And that is whether or not to take the promotion. That is whether or not to run for office. That is whether or not to lead a board. Um, When we look at opportunities that are available to women, we often have to be asked at least three times before we will consider taking on the taking on the role. And that's a lot of encouragement. Not a lot of people have patience for that kind of encouragement. And so you can see where like gaps are widened. And so I'm just going to piggyback on this brilliant thing that Brooke was saying. Like, if you notice that someone is hesitant, even though you've asked, like, don't be afraid to ask again. again. Again, I just wanted to throw that out there because like you were talking and I was like, dawning recognition. She's right. (laughs) It's it's so true. But I, and I also think, and I see this with, with some of my female employees as well. When you're, when you're talking to these employees about these opportunities or whatever, you know, what they're thinking of is all, all the other commitments that they have, their family commitments, their home commitments. And so as much flexibility as you can give in terms of, I, I recognize this is not always doable, but if it's possible, hey, I know that your kids, you know, go to school at 8.30, that's drop-off. We don't do meetings at 8.30, so you can do drop-off. We can start our meetings at nine or we can do our meetings at seven. And right. just knowing, you know, giving that confidence to these female leaders that they can manage their calendar, they can block off the times that they need to, you know, run their other commitments. And that's something I do personally. And I try to lead by example for my team is that like, I take my daughter to school. That's not something I'm willing to sacrifice. Yeah. Um, I want to see her go in. Cool. My calendar's blocked during drop-off. You need me before you need me after I'm available. Yeah. Um, And so I think you just have to like set your boundaries and as an ally, be respectful of those boundaries, as long as they're able to deliver their work. 
Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't think any of us are, are super like, well, it, I, I'm not speaking for all of us. I'm saying, I don't, I personally don't care how you get the job done as long as you get the yeah. job done, you know? And, and yeah. that, and, and honestly, I mean, this, go, this goes for all marginalized community, like communities that kind of, um, I guess, notice and care around boundaries and balance. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily even believe that work-life balance is like possible all the time, but that being said, like, if you can support that, you're going to make it so much easier for, for folks who've been historically excluded and marginalized, like this is not, these are not won't situations. These are can't situations. I literally can't find childcare. So I might have to take a few more sick days or something like that. You know, when you bridge those gaps, you create equitable opportunity, access to that opportunity, and then you see industry change and become more inclusive and holistic, right? And the payoff to the organization is massive. I mean, we studies show like having diverse opinions at the table only makes the company better all around. Right. So it's it. I mean, if you're not going to do it because it's the right thing to do, do it because it's going to help your bottom line. Like the data shows time and time again, you know, if you want your, your bottom line to increase and improve, like this is, this is a mechanism by which to do that. Right. Have fun. It's an easy one to implement and um, will have an immediate impact on your bottom line. I love that. All right. Well, so I did, I I took us down a nice little detour, but I want to bring it back to optics and I want to bring it back to you, Brooke, the leader that we're talking to. You're, you're awesome. Talk to us about the future, the future for Brooke, the future for optics. What are you, what are you hoping to see? Oh, great question. So optics, uh, you know, we're, we're four years young, so I, I feel like we're really out of that like immediate startup. Yeah, you're not in like the two year precarious, like, am I going to lose my house or is today going to be a good day? Exactly. <laughs> so we're, we're really in that, like we are in growth still for sure. Um, high growth yeah. and that in and of itself brings its own challenges, you know, balancing, you know, the growth with the product, with the, the resources, um, and so, you know, for the next two to four years, we're really going to maintain this growth trajectory. I really, I see us expanding globally. We're moving into Canada. Um, I see us tackling other markets. I mean, gaming is not something that's slowing down. In fact, more jurisdictions continue to uh, legalize gambling. And then online gambling is a whole other space that's kind of taking over. And we, so got that- sport, we just got sports betting in Kansas, which is a state that's just to the just to the, our neighbors. Uh, and like, yeah, I mean, it's it's been really interesting watching this process unfold, like figuring yeah. out how to allocate revenues and how to like it's been really weird watching the process, but kind of exciting. So yeah, like this is an industry that only has the opportunity to grow. That's right. Which means our product has to be able to adapt and pivot as the industry changes and grows. And so we're, we're always keeping our finger on the pulse of that. Um, And so I'm really excited, uh, you know, again, for this kind of high growth area and expansion outside of really the U S and outside of just kind of core land-based gaming. I think you'll see us move into online gaming, more recent sports, um, because that's where, you know, that's where the business is going. Yeah. Well, so, so I'm very, very excited to see that to come to fruition. I am also very, very excited to hear you answer the human question. It is time. Uh, and so I'm going to ask you a question and I, I'm interested to hear your response, but I'm going to give a caveat because I think I know uh, where you might go with this, but <laughs> What would you buy with a billion dollars and it can't be for anybody else? It has to just be for you. That's my caveat. 
Because I feel like you would be like, well, I would do all of these really nice things. And I'm like, no, what do you want? <laughs> oh, a billion dollars. And I can only a buy billion one billion dollars. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot of money. I don't even know what a billion dollars can buy. I mean, all I right, probably- well, all right, let's scale it. Let's make it more accessible. How about a million? You have a million dollars to spend. That's that's a big jump, though. Ten million. Yeah, that's a big jump. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'd probably buy like a like a, a, an incredible vacation location, like somewhere where I could just go spend. Are you gonna buy yeah. yourself an island? Maybe. And may, and but like not a creepy island. Like you can't do. Yeah, no, no, no. It's going to be like a very beautiful Tahitian Isle or something like that. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah, but then I need like the permanent air transportation. So I also yeah. need to buy like a lifetime. I saw somebody spent $250,000 on like a lifetime United membership. Nice. Fly like everywhere on United. So maybe something like that. So then I can just fly okay. everywhere. And I feel, I feel like that's like, I don't remember where we landed on, landed on the dollar amount, but I feel like that's a really nice thing to buy for yourself. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's it's somewhere in between a million and a billion. So. <laughs> Millions a lot. I don't know. Yeah, it, it really is. That was, that was what came out of my mouth. And then I almost immediately rethought it. I was like, wait, that's too much. <laughs> Uh, well, I'll tell you what, Brooke, you are, are not too much. Thank you so much for, you're just, you're just right. You're just enough. Uh, so thank you for taking the time to, to be on the Startup Hustle podcast and sharing your story. It has been greatly, greatly appreciated. Thanks for having me. This was great. Well, good. I am so, so glad to hear that. I always, I have like my super secret goal for every recording episode that I have is, uh, how do we how do we present the information in in a fun way? Uh, so so hold on, really quick, just hold on, Brooke. I'm going to pause this for a second. They're going to have to cut this out because I lost something, and you can tell because I have no idea where I'm going with the end of that sentence. So, oh, uh, so Brooke, you know, one thing that you are not is too much. You are just enough. And you are just wonderful as you are. But I want to thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Startup Hustle podcast with us. Thank you so much. This was great. Really appreciate it. Well, I am am so glad that it was great. You know, what else is great, friends? Full scale. Do you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders? Well, Full Scale can help. They have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and then let the platform match you up with fully vetted, highly experienced software engineers, testers, and leaders. At Full Scale, they specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. And friends, I'm going to point you to our top startups episodes. Uh, if you're not already aware, and we've talked about it a couple of times here, Brooke and Optics was recently featured on our top Las Vegas startups episode for Startup Hustle. And we do those once a month. We go to another city across the U.S. and we talk to startup founders and we talk about startup founders and we find the coolest, hippest startups in an area, uh, startups like Optics in Las Vegas. And and we just, we want to have conversations about startups and founders across the country. So if you have any suggestions, any ideas, places we should go, definitely reach out and let us know, startuphustle.xyz, or you can check the show notes. But you definitely want to listen to our stops, top startups episode for Las Vegas, and you'll get to hear a little bit more about Optics and Brooke and what they do. You can check the show notes for more information, and we hope to 
Hope to see you download and get some really good information. But more than that, friends, we hope to see you keep coming back. We are very grateful that you listen to us week after week. And we hope you keep on doing it because we love putting Startup Hustle on for you. And we will catch you next time. Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.